Hoffman loses control of the puck and goes to the far board. Here's Gerald with a turnaround shot deflected to the backboard on the left side. Martin pokes it out in front. O'Shea, a shot and a goal! Welcome to A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. Back here on this rare Tuesday morning episode, the milestone number 30 of A Shot and a Goal, the podcast about hockey broadcasters. My name is Jake Baskin. There's no actual reason that I'm posting this on a Tuesday, just that I feel like getting this interview out and I set my own schedule so I can do what I want. I'm going to try to get my next episode out on Friday, a three-day window that I try to avoid, but this guest and the next one are closely intertwined so I'm hoping to get them both out this week. Short interview this time, but there's not a lot of personal or hockey news to cover this week. So let's get to the guest, because for those of you who are around my age, you might have heard the name, but probably never listened to him. Sal Redlight Messina was the color commentator on New York Rangers radio broadcasts for almost 30 years. He also did a few games of play-by-play, a partial schedule as an analyst on television, and even a season with the New Jersey Devils in the mid-80s to get some TV reps. He's worked with Marv Albert, Kenny Albert, Steve Albert, Al Albert, and a bunch of different families. Sam Rosen, Doc Emmerich, Howie Rose, John Kelly, Joe Beninati, some big names outside the hockey world, Gary Cohen, John Sterling, Spencer Ross, Bruce Beck, Al Troutwig, Bob Wischusen, just a whole crap load of partners. I think 28 in all, he said. We talk about that. He's also the second Foster Hewitt Award winner I've had on the podcast so far. He received the award in 2005, one year after episode 24 guest Chuck Caton. We talk about that too. Honestly, I probably came into this podcast knowing less about Sal than any other NHL current or former guest I've had. I never heard him call a game except for what I could find on YouTube, and there's not a lot online to go from, so I'm glad I got to hear firsthand about his experiences in the NHL both before and during his broadcasting career. If you don't know Sal, I think you'll hear a couple pretty good stories in there about what the league was like in his time. You're not going to hear an audio clip on this episode, although I have the means to include one. This whole thing that I do as the lead-in to the interview is not particularly conducive to color commentators. This is Sal Messina, Hockey Hall of Famer, on episode 30 of A Shot and a Goal. Hi, and welcome to the Milestone episode 30 of A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. I'm Jake Baskin, and my guest today, we're going back to the Foster Hewitt winners from the New York Rangers radio team, Sal Redlight Messina. How's it going, Sal? I'm very good, Jake. How are you doing? I'm good. It's now been almost 20 years since you retired from broadcasting. What have you been up to in the time since? Well, just uh, leading... The life of a retired man, playing pickleball, playing golf, enjoying hockey and baseball. When you were playing, there weren't a lot of American players and certainly not many from the New York area. How did you get started playing and how did you get started playing goalie? Well, I started playing goalie back in the, oh, gee, wow, probably uh, early 50s. I was about 12 or 13 years old and uh from roller hockey to ice hockey and 
and played uh, over in New Jersey in, in South Mountain Arena in, in New Jersey. And uh, we just, uh, I don't know, I got, older guys were always bringing me around because I was playing gold. Uh, they introduced me to ice hockey and uh, I played all my ice hockey over there uh, as, a, as a young kid, basically, before uh, anything ever happened. As far as playing uh, in minor pro, which is all I ever did. How close did you get to making the Rangers as a player? Uh, not very close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had uh, they had uh, Jockerman and Villamure and Jacques Plant, and basically, I, I, I was an amateur goaltender. I did get into the Eastern Hockey League to play some games. I did play for a U.S. hockey team that went over to Russia and Czechoslovakia at that time. It was called and. Uh, I, I was far away from making the NHL. I don't care what anybody says. If they had a, you know, uh, the way things are now, the way things are now, well, you couldn't even exist the way we played. How did you get started broadcasting? I got started in broadcasting, uh, thankfully, uh, thanks to Marv Albert. And believe it or not, Bill Chadwick. I remember Bill Chadwick. They called him the Big Whistle. Yeah. I'm going back to the early 70s. And Bill got promoted up to... Uh, up to TV, and since I had played hockey in the area, and I had played a couple of games at the Rangers in training camp, I did play NHL games in training camp, only against the Rangers or against uh, minor league teams. And I was then, when I wasn't going anywhere, I was still playing amateur hockey, but I was a goal judge at the park. And uh, Bill Chadwick moved from TV to radio, and I said, well, who's gonna do radio? He says, why don't you try? And so I uh, talked to Marv Albert, who helped me along uh, as far as working on my interviews and, and how to conduct myself uh, as far as a, an interviewer, because you, you did do about three interviews in those, in those days on radio. And uh, I got the job, and then 30 years later, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> but I, uh, basically, that's how it was. I read that it was Marv who gave you the nickname Red Light. You were really going to take that from him? Well, you know, it's only because of how I, I tell the story of open it up, I guess. Uh, you remember Dunk? I don't know if you remember Dunk Wilson. He was a former Toronto Maple Leaf He came to play for the Rangers. And he was noted to have a good time. And the Rangers went into Toronto to play. And uh, people in the New York area didn't know that every goalie in the world was called Red Light at one time. Especially in those days, more so maybe than now. Uh, and the fans started calling Dunk Wilson Red Light. So uh, Wilson saw the story in a paper the next day, and uh, Dunk says to you, Delano, who, by the way, is in the Hall of Fame as a, a sports writer, and uh, he said, hey, you, you can't put that in the paper. My wife will think I'm hanging out in the wrong neighborhoods. <laughs> now, of course, he was pulling you, Delano's leg, and uh, you didn't even know what he meant at first. <laughs> But uh, it was only a gag. But so the next day we're out in Oakland, or a couple of days later, and you uh, uh, Delano tells Marv that story. And Marv, you know, me as a, a, a weak minor league goalie, and we go on the air. And that's the night he started calling me Sal Red like Messina, and that's how I got to, that's how I got to the year. Not a lot of people associate Marv Albert with hockey, especially if they're under the age of, say, 35. How was working with him as a broadcaster? It was great. You know, I was never in broadcasting. I didn't go to school for broadcasting. I didn't do anything of that nature. I was just a, uh, a hockey bum. <laughs> and and Mark just 
brought me along, you know. Uh, uh, he was very easy to work with. Uh, he let you do the color commentary because he was a play-by-play guy. And, uh, and he taught me a lot of different things on, on how to uh, handle interviews, on, on saying certain things. And it was, it was great working with him. I enjoyed working with his son a lot more, though. <laughs> Well, with Kenny for many years. Yeah, tell me about Kenny. He was in his twenties when you started working with him. Did you know he was going to be a star? Uh, yes, I did. I really did because he worked so hard and he was so good at it. Uh, you think of Kenny? Kenny was our statistician when he was about twelve. I first met Kenny when he was about four, five or six, and he was so into hockey, even at uh, five, six, seven, whatever and became our statistician uh, when uh, he was about 12 years old. Then he went off to college, and he, he, he broadcast, uh, I think it was the Maine Mariners of Portland. He, he was with uh, Barry Trotz for a while in the American Hockey League, came into the NHL, and you just knew he was going to be good. He was on top of everything. Don't forget he had his father around, so his father, he had to listen to his father a lot. And But he has his own style now, and... Uh, did I know he was going to be a superstar? No, but uh, I had no idea at that time. I wasn't even thinking of it. But he's, uh, he's a tremendous broadcaster. He does more than his father is doing right now. His father did football, basketball, hockey. No, Kenny's, daughter, Kenny's right there. And that's about it as far as Kenny and Marv. And I, I did work with Steve. Steve Albert replaced Marv. I worked with about the 20 to 25 different play-by-play guys over the years. You know, Marv was not full-time when I first started. In fact, I did my first game ever uh, in Boston, in the Boston Guards, a preseason game with Spencer Ross. Hmm. And that goes back to 1973, I believe, or 72. 72 or 73. 73, because the Islanders came in in 72, and I started I started in broadcasting the year after the Islanders came in. So let's touch on your number of partners. Because of Marv's and Kenny's national work, You've had seasons where you worked with a lot of substitutes. How do you develop a rapport with guys when you work with so many partners? Well, you know, you you, you try to do your job and you start to play. I always thought you have to play off of them. You know, they bring out something, you have to uh, work with them. And and working together is the only way to do anything. Uh, It's, uh, I had no, I didn't have any problem with it. I hope to to play by play guys didn't either, but. Uh, I didn't have any problem at all. I walked with Beck. I mean, all of the guys I worked with, uh, uh, Howie Rose and I had a tremendous uh, rapport working together. Uh, enjoyed working with Howie. And I guess Howie, Kenny, I worked with Mike Emmerich for a couple of years, too. And mm-hmm. I did I did a, uh, a half a season, or almost a full season with the, uh, the Devils. One year I did TV with the Dev- for the Devils with, uh, with Mike Emmerich. And... Uh, Ranger Radio, of course. So I, I worked with just about every John Forslin. I think I did a game with him. The Tampa announcer did a game with him. And, uh, all of the Albert brothers. So had my fun. Enjoyed it immensely. What was it like doing the Rangers and the Devils, two teams that we now know as rivals, but working with both of them at the same time? How do you keep your mindset with one and the other? you had to talk about the hockey game really uh, you mean my mindset uh, as rooting for anybody no it's more like remembering which one is which like not getting confused when you're working with one or the other 
No, there was no problem at all. I mean, I'm just doing a game. I did a couple other games. I worked for ESPN, believe it or not, in that first year. I did a number of games uh, for ESPN. Uh, I did uh, Washington Capitals playoff hockey one year. The Rangers were eliminated, and the Caps uh, didn't have a full-time broadcast team. And I worked for them as well for uh, one Stanley Cup playoffs, but it was, it, which lasted only one round. <laughs> I read that a few times you actually did play-by-play yourself. What was your reaction when they told you you were going to do that, and how was the experience? It was fun. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it was easier to do because it didn't happen until after I was doing. Uh, I guess uh, broadcasting about fifteen or so years, but it was fun. I mean, I had my way, and people could understand where the puck was, and that uh, that that was the most important thing, and, and who the player is, who's who's who has the puck. Uh, I guess that's what I concentrated on more than anything else. Just letting the people know where the puck is, who has it. It was fun. It wasn't my cup of tea, though. It's <laughs> nothing that I could do. Those guys are great the way they can handle the play-by-play. I could never really do it. But in an emergency, it was it was a lot of fun. A couple of times I had to do a mob did a football game, and he would get there for the uh, second period. That's interesting. A, yeah, one time I think he, he just couldn't make a particular game. And uh, they couldn't get anybody else, so I had to do it. I think I did it alone. And one time, oh I wow! It. I think maybe Gilbert was with me. I can't remember. I, I don't remember exactly. I guess it was about three or four times. The Rangers TV analyst for a long time was the great John Davidson, who did a lot of national work. So you stepped in on the TV side a few times. I've actually heard some clips of you on TV. What's the difference between analyzing a game on TV versus analyzing one on radio? Well, first of all, you, you know, on TV, uh, the fans or the people are watching it, so maybe you try to point something out on a, a particular play, how it developed. Uh, so you describe the play. You don't describe the play. You're just commenting on the play while I'm doing it on radio. You had to describe and analyze at the same time. So it was a, a little... Uh, a little tougher on on radio in a way uh, because on tv if you're describing a replay of course it's easier but you know when a goal is scored on radio now you're going to try to go hey we're to try to get the listener to know where the play started a little different you had to do a little bit more explaining on radio than tv did you have a day job all throughout your career i did throughout my career what was it Uh, working for a company out on Long Island called the W.S. Wilson Corporation and sold aerospace parts. Uh, they allowed me to take my time uh, away from uh, the office. I was, in a, I was a, uh, a sales engineer for them and traveled uh, throughout the country and throughout the world. I'd go to Europe every year before, before the hockey season started and selling aircraft parts, basically. How much work did you actually have to miss? At, at work? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you go on a road trip, you're out two or three days. We used to, at that time, used to have one-week road trips, and I would miss that time. But I would sort of make it up for them. And, you know, the, the type of job I had, then most of the last uh, uh, 15 years, I was a VP of, uh, of sales. And uh, basically, you know, you, you'd go into the office and you'd have your work to do. And I would sometimes get in from a, a range of road trip at 2 o'clock in the morning 
and I'd be at the office the next morning working. So it was, it was you know, you were young and you, you enjoyed, I enjoyed doing both. In fact, I still touch base with the people I used to work for, W.S. Wilson. In fact, I do a little work for them, some consulting work. So when you started broadcasting, you were one of the few ex-players or more accurately ex-hockey people in the booth. When you stopped, you were one of the few analysts who didn't play in the NHL. Did you notice that? Oh, of course. Definitely. I mean, at that time, when you think back to uh, 19, it's 1972 or the early 70s, late 60s, even the mid 70s, uh, almost every player was Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the players did not hang around after they retired. They all went back up, uh, up to Canada. And that made it easier for me to get the job because there were no ex-players. And since I had played a little bit in the minor leagues, I was with, I traveled with the Rangers uh, completely, a complete season as a backup. So I was there at every practice. And, uh, it, uh, and I guess that's the reason that, that I got the job, really, because there were no ex-hockey players around. And it made it uh, easier for them to make the decision. And Emil Francis made that decision after uh, Marv and Bill had a lot to do with uh, introducing me to the well, Emil knew me because I shouldn't say that. Emil Francis was the general manager when I was playing. He was assistant general manager for the Rangers. And then I played for, at, when I was playing as a backup goaltender. And then uh, when I played in the Eastern League, he was my general manager. So, I mean, Emil Francis knew who I was. Uh, he was the general manager at the time I got the job with the Rangers as a, bro- as a broadcaster. But I was working for the Rangers uh, as a, a minor official at the Garden. So I never lost contact with the Rangers from when I played in the, I guess, the early 60s until I became a broadcaster. What do you think makes a good hockey analyst? Uh, Eddie Olchuk, <laughs> John Davidson, <laughs> Joe Micheletti. Uh, they know the game, uh, and they seem to know what the fans want to, want to hear. Uh, they want to be uh, given some inside information about what's going on with the players and uh, it's a little more difficult right now because there's no contact with the players for the guys doing these playoffs right now. But I, I think the uh, the fans want to know a lot about the players, uh, and uh, they want an honest com- honest commentary on the game. But you know, you just can't be if you if you work for the Rangers for a lot of years, you, you become a Ranger fan. Or I was always a Ranger fan. I went to Madison Square Garden at the age of fourteen and fifteen and followed the Rangers. But I, I think that's. Uh, I mean, you want you know, Eddie Olchuk, and you got Pierre Maguire, and and, and Joe Micheletti. They're they're on top of everything. They know what's going on in the sport, in the sports throughout, not just what's going on in that game. And I think that means a lot. You won the Foster Hewitt Award in two thousand five. You're one of the few color commentators to do so. Obviously, John Davidson did. Do you remember anything about that process? Or yes, that I was I was totally surprised. First of all, I had. Retired, I guess, what, 2002? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jiggs McDonald, by the way, had a lot to do, who was, uh, was part of the committee, and Jiggs called me up, and I said, wow. Uh, you, got, you, got, you know, I was shocked. I never thought that would happen. So you know, that, that part I remember, and, and going through the whole ceremony part and going up to, to uh, Toronto uh, to be part of that uh, was, uh, was tremendous. My family enjoyed it. I had a great time, and uh, I was very shocked and surprised. And uh, hey, I'm proud to be uh, the first guy, as you mentioned, uh, as far as color commentating is concerned. But 
you know, it wasn't as big then as it is now. You made a speech. I think the play-by-play was the guy then in those days, more so than the color right. analysts. Uh, you know, that's the early 70s I'm talking about. But then it got, then uh, it was fun. You made a speech up there? Yes, I did. Uh, you had to. And oh, yeah, I always use my fun lines. You remember Will Chamberlain? Yeah. Of course you do. Well, yeah. Yeah, he, he had a 100-point game and. Uh, he was playing for the Philadelphia with the Warriors at that time. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia Warriors. I don't think they were the 76ers. Well, anyway, they were. And uh, they were playing a game in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I was, I had to go play for the Ducks for the last game of the season. And uh, we played in the Philadelphia arena. And that particular night, Will Chamberlain scored, uh, I guess, 101 points or 100 and there was a paper on Long Island called the Long Island Press. And, of course, they covered the Long Island Ducks at the time. And the headline that day after that Will Chamberlain game was, Will scores 100, and then down at the bottom there was a little article, and the caption was, Sal, let a dozen go by. <laughs> oh, we no. We happened to lose that game 12-4. Now, it was the last game of the season, out of the playoffs and everything. So I wasn't half as bad as the rest of the team. Well, maybe I was. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's a fun anecdote. Are you still involved with the Rangers at all? Oh, no. No, no. I did, they did meet by me up on the 25th anniversary of the Stanley Cup uh, last January. Well, it was past January. But involved with them, uh, no. I watch every one of their games or tape and watch it. But, uh, you know, I had the hockey package, which I've had. I watch hockey all the time. I watch hockey and baseball, and those are my those are my sports. Well, I'm glad to hear you still watch the sport. Yeah, I love the sport. I, I you know, sports been part of my life since I'm eight years old. So, and then it became my it, it became my living, you know, making my living with right. the sport. And I, so I'll, it's fun, uh, you know. I, of course, I root for the Rangers, mm-hmm. but I do root for a lot of guys on other teams and and coaches and general managers that uh, that I met throughout the years. They were all dedicated people, and I had a lot of fun with them. So, last question, a pretty simple one: What did you love most about working in the NHL and being a color commentator with the Rangers? Being involved in hockey, I guess. I mean, it, it was. Working for the Rangers was tremendous. Again, I grew up as a Ranger fan, and just just working it was fun. Uh, working uh, the NHL is, is such a good league. It's run so well. Uh, people cooperate. Uh, everybody cooperates with you. The coaches, the general managers. Nobody hesitates to talk to you. Uh, it was it was a it was a piece of cake. It was a lot of fun. And the people that I met throughout the years in hockey. You know, John Muckler, by the way, is uh, the guy who gave me my first playing job. <laughs> so I, I have to mention John's name. Stan Fischler wrote a lot of good things about me as an amateur goalie. And that's how I, whatever, the, what, what happened was a, uh, a goalie for the Long Island Ducks got hurt with the New York Rovers at that time. And they needed a goalie because they couldn't get anybody from Canada back to play. And uh, I was called into play on an emergency basis. And, 
That was John Muntle who did that, and I won two straight games. But then I lost after that. But, but uh, so the Rangers automatically had to sign me because uh, I was in their territory, and, and that's uh, Emil Francis or no, Buzz Patrick it was who signed me, and they invited me to two Ranger training camps. And, uh, Muzz signed me. I went to two training camps. One year I traveled as a Ranger backup, and I would be sent to Baltimore. They owned. A, they had about four goalies ahead of me, three goalies ahead of me in the system. Villamil uh, was there at the time. Uh, of course, Eddie Jockerman was there. Then Jacques Plant came. No, I didn't. I didn't go to training camp with the Rangers until Plant came. So that was the year that Worsley was traded for Plant. Uh, so I mean, me, all the people I met were just tremendous. I mean, actually, uh, the year before I did color, uh, Marv was breaking me in on how to interview and, and talking to me about how I should conduct an interview. And any time all the guys came in, like uh, from other teams that I knew, uh, even Freddie Shiro, uh, who coached Minnesota, the uh, the, uh, the Minneapolis team in the, uh, I guess it was the Central League, ended up coaching the Flyers. But he was my coach in training camp, and mm -hmm. I would interview him when he came in. And basically, all the people that I knew when they came into the guard, this is the year before I got the job as a broadcaster. Uh, they were really cooperative. They would take the time to work with me for five minutes to do an interview. And that's how it, it all developed. All right, Sal. Thank you for coming on the show. I was glad to finally get this done. Have a great rest of your day and stay safe during this time. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Stay safe yourself. Bye. That was Sal Messina one of just eight Foster Hewitt Award winners to win the award primarily for their work as an analyst. Thanks to him for coming on. If you're wondering who the others are, they're Mickey Redmond, Harry Neal, John Davidson, Howie Meeker, Brian McFarland, Dick Irvin, and the late Gilles Tremblay. I just looked this up, and I'm kind of mad at myself for only remembering one of them during my conversation with Sal. Sal is 81 years old now, and although his career did overlap with active players like Thornton, Chara, Marlowe, Kovalchuk, the game is almost unrecognizable now compared to how it was when Sal was working. But he still watches games down in Florida, he still loves the Rangers, and credit to him. I remember hearing an interview on Joel Godet's play-by-play cast with a legendary announcer in another sport who retired in the last decade who can't stand to watch it anymore. I hope if I reach a Hall of Fame level and have some years left in my life after my retirement, I still love the sport I call when I'm done. That'll do it for episode 30 of A Shot and a Goal. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeBaskinPXP, or you can access the backlog of episodes at A Shot and a Goal. Next up, we'll have Kenny Albert. You all know who he is. In an interview done about two hours before I lost power and internet for the better part of a week. Bruce Siski and Everett Fitzhugh to follow. See you soon.